reviewing the play, fired to the runner, getting the ball across the goal line. The ball is punched out. It's recovered by the defense in the end zone. It's going to be a touchback for Houston. Over the middle, and it is intercepted. Did Lonnie Johnson make the catch? He did. It's a flea flicker. Mills looking deep for Conley. He's got him. Touchdown. And welcome to episode 101 of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. And another Texans defeat to talk about as we're kind of become accustomed to it in this 2021 season. Um, not even a leakage up the middle, as it was described, or the prayers of Jack Easterby on the sidelines, as you saw the field goal go by um, in the dying minutes of a botched clock management but joined this week and a turn up for what regular back on the radio i'm glad to see where he belongs on your airwaves at 97.5 houston host to the wheelhouse mr cody stutes how you doing man i'm fantastic 101 man that's awesome i I can't believe i'm the the first in the new uh the new century of episodes so i appreciate that We, we always have fun chopping it up about this team yeah, definitely. I wish the, the product on the field could be a little better. Um, just side note, actually, mate. I've had a. It's predominantly the uh, the the, uh, the the Reddit trolls, really. But I've had a lot of flack for the name recently, and the people keep saying, "Are you going to change it? Um, should you change it to W A T T or W or change it to W H A T for what?" Um, I'm of the opinion that I'm going to stick with it. What do you think? I'm taking a straw poll. I think every week now. Hey, you've you've established a, a brand here. You can't just you can't change it now. And plus, he's only going to be a member of the Cardinals for a few years, and then eventually they'll put him in the Ring of Honor, uh, and you'll have his name on the side there up at NRG Stadium. So, yeah, I mean, it, look, he's a member of the Cardinals right now, but he'll always be a member of the Texans, and it makes and plus, it's a great name. I mean, no, no, forget the haters. You get your one on one in. Too late to change now. Well, yeah, that's what I said. I think people say that. Um... You know, don't probably engage or listen much, um, and so I think, yeah, no, fine. That's that's you've you've affirmed my beliefs, Cody. So I'm going to keep testing that out every week. But um, but um, I suppose, it, and as I always tell people, it's a rhetorical question. Um, and, and thoughts of why did I do this to myself? I suppose it was another fitting game, and I think there's going to be a lot of those this, this year. Um, but overall takeaways from Sunday against the Patriots, twenty-five to twenty-two. It just felt like second half a game squandered. Yeah, David Culley cost this team a game with the decision-making that he put together for this team. I mean, you come out of halftime and Davis Mills hits that flea flicker pass and you're like, okay, wow, like they they, they might have enough to put the Patriots away. And at that point, like, okay, if, you, if they can run the football a little bit, they just stay within themselves and they have a chance to win this football game and, and really upset a team that, was not actually very good. I mean, this Patriots team is not a very good football team, but compared to them, they're a very good football team. So they had a chance to upset them, and David Kelly's decision-making let this thing just slip away. I mean, the defense had played really well when he decided to fake a fake punt. I mean, the defense had played pretty well when he decided to kick a 56-yard field goal, even though the kickers never kicked a 56-yard field goal. And is it likely the Texans could have marched down the field, scored a touchdown and an extra point and tied the football game with two minutes left? I don't know. Probably not. It's probably not, but it certainly is a better chance two minutes down seven points than 15 seconds down three points. So I was really disappointed with David Coley in the second half. I, I don't have a problem with the way he operated things in the first half, but the second half really let the game get away. It squandered was probably one of the best games Davis Mills has ever played in his life. I went back and looked at some of his Stanford numbers, and, I mean, this is just – it's one of the best games he's played in a very long time, maybe the best game he's ever played, and it just got squandered by the head coach's decision-making in unnecessary decisions in some of those situations. Yeah, so we'll come back to Mills there, but I think the, the point of Cully um... – Skipping ahead a little bit, let's dive into it now. I think that for for me, I think when you saw and look, I think it feeds into the Mills point going for it on fourth down, a lot of conversions, big conversions on fourth, the fourth and two where Conley took you into the red zone, didn't convert. I think that was a big swing. But for for me, like when we're watching it right at the end, you 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 know, you you'd shit the bed in the second half. You couldn't do anything at all 
on offense when you did you make a terrible call and I think when you make that call to kick a 56 yard field goal for a guy who hadn't kicked it as you said never kicked it in his career already missed two PATs to be fair I've just looked at all 22 the first one is a bit of a, a dodgy hold I think by by uh, Cameron Johnson but the second second PAT definitely on Fairburn but for but the to, to go for that point of view, to go for the field goal there, when a couple of weeks earlier against Carolina, you punted. Yep. Yep, that's 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 really frustrating. Be consistent. Well, yeah. If you're going to be aggressive, be consistently aggressive. Don't pick and choose the points when you want to be aggressive. And in that moment, again, your defense had played really well. The likelihood that Mac Jones is marching them down the field, you know, 90 something yards and scoring a touchdown there is pretty, is, is pretty low. And, and you got to trust this punter. I mean, the punters have been one of the better players on the team. I understand that maybe he mishit, you know, David Kelly saying he mishit on the fake, fake punt, but at that moment, still trust the guy to pin him deep. And at the very least, you're looking at 80 yards in front of the Patriots instead of, you know, 60 something, you don't want to give them those free yards and you don't want to give them that juice and, a lot of momentum left the building um, when when Fairbairn misses that. And again, it's a guy coming off IR who missed two extra points, who kicked the ball out of bounds. We still don't know if he's 100%. I mean, I assume they think he's 100%. And I get that he made it in practice, but he's never made one in a game. You can't be attempting that field goal. Yeah, and then, I mean, okay, fair enough. You go for the points. You needed something at that stage, and it was a fourth and four that left themselves with some kind of questionable, you know, mix. I think that we will come up on the offense, but I think the offense led us to that point of getting some questionable play calls against a team who are not good at defending the run. But but when they scored, and yeah, with one fifty six to go, to decline that penalty, and then give some like complete BS review of it in the in the post media and I know he changed his stance on it again which is great honesty is great but we're not really paying him for honesty we're paying him for to, to make in time game calls that's going to help this team to win and he reduced this team's chance to win but to not have the awareness to go and let them score at 156 you saw Cleveland do it to uh, to the Chargers on, on Sunday on the, on the late slate they, they barrowed the guy into the end zone just to get the ball back yeah, they didn't. They, Cleveland didn't let the Chargers score. They made the Chargers score. You know that, that's. You know what's frustrating about this with David Cully is he's a first-time head coach, and I understand that. And I understand sometimes the decision making is a little iffy, and like he's got to learn from his mistakes. I understand that, but Lovey Smith's a former head coach, and he's been coaching for a very long time. Romeo Cornell's a former head coach, and he's been coaching for a very long time. And Nick Casario is supposed to be this genius, analytical, forward-thinking guy, and he's been coaching slash in the front office for a very long time. And when you combine that with David Cully, between those four individuals, Lovey Smith, Romeo Cornell, David Cully, and Nick Casario, there's over 150 years in football between college and pros, 150 years between those four guys. So tell me why everybody's sitting at home, everybody in the press box that I was talking to knew you were supposed to let the Patriots score there for a better chance to tie the game or maybe win the football game. But 150 plus years, of coaching and front office experience didn't know that. That's unacceptable. I get that David Coley is a rookie head coach. I understand that. And that guy's going to make some mistakes. But you have guys who are not rookie head coaches who can't let him make those mistakes. And so as much as I want to blame David Culley and the poor explanation and him not being able to remember exactly how it went down, I'm also placing blame on Lovey Smith, Romeo Cornell, and Nick Casario because those are the adults. Those are the experienced guys in the room. And that should not be happening to their rookie head coach when they have a say in things. It seems like Frank Ross is the one sort of explaining things to him. Uh, when you, when when the when the uh, the broadcast cuts to the sideline, it, he cuts a sort of a, a, an individual of somewhat of a confused state. Ross is trying to tell him. I don't know if that's been radioed down from the booth from Casario or, or Cronell or whoever's up there. A mixture of the two, uh, and then he still gets it wrong. But what what kind of kind of arcs me is okay. You can you can make split decision calls, but that wasn't a split decision call because it was timeouts. There was. You know, it was a slow process. That last two minutes on the clock took a long time for it to click down. But the the fact that when you go into a press conference, when you've got the surface tablets on the sideline, you can see what happens. Like you would have surely looked at that punt again and saw, you know, the the, the hitting off the guy's back. Um, and he 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 claimed it was, you know, basically they broke broke contain up the middle in terms of their block information when they're punting. But I think when you go into to, in front of the media, and I've not even kind of briefly looked at it, um, and. 
it just feels like it's a rabbit in the headlights. And I said that to the guy who was watching the game on Sunday. I just said, I just think, I just think he's well out of his depth. And we all feared that. Um, but Sunday was the biggest, perhaps, showing of it. And it kind of just feels like, oh, and it just has an inevitability about it. I think that it was, you felt like this would happen. Well, the the tough part is, and, and, and maybe this is an unfair compared David Cully too, but I can watch Sean McVeigh go in an interview, recall a play from high school. He can tell you who all was on the field, what the play call was, what the down and distance was. And I'm just like, that's, you know, 20 something years ago from Sean McVeigh. And David Cully can't remember 30 minutes ago. Like that, that's really unfortunate. And I understand why David Cully is here. David Cully's not here because he's some mastermind offensive or defensive genius or some, you know, expert special teams guru who you just have to respect for his mind for the game. David Kelly's here to establish a culture for this organization, a culture for this team. And I understand that. I know why they want that because the culture post Bill O'Brien was not very good and they felt like they needed to improve it. And they trust David Cully with that opportunity in that situation. I get that, but all those players have to believe in David Cully. And you have to believe that he can establish that culture. And the quickest way to get those guys in business. Now, this is not just life. In business, the quickest way to get a superior, lose your respect is the superior proves he doesn't know what's going on. He proves to you that he's out of his depth. He proves to you that he can't do the job that's been assigned to him. It's really tough for a superior to set the tone for your team when he proves that he's having a tough time doing his job. So they have got to fix that because eventually you're going to get 53 guys plus a plus a practice squad that aren't going to buy into the culture conversation because the other six days, they matter. They don't matter as much as game day and what you do on game day. And if David Kelly looks lost on game day, the other six days, it's going to be a lot harder with that culture conversation. Yeah, and it's something that they've they've hidden behind consistently. Uh, but when you when you're given dumb penalties like the Titus Howard false start in the red zone right at half time, when if you'd got a seven there, it's a different couple. You might have got a six with the way Fairburn was going. But you know, if you get at least at least more than a field goal at that stage, then you know you've got a bigger chance in the second half. You had that huge turnover. All the momentum was on your way when on you know nine times out of ten, you know, or if you'd been up in Foxborough, you probably don't get that force fumble. From Ter- uh, from Terence Mitchell, and you've got all the momentum. You're going into the second, you know, you go into the second half with the points. But I, I just think with with, with Cully, y- you wonder how long can he continue to do this? And I think that because you and we'll come on to the, the, there was a very sort of grueling image at the end of the broadcast. We'll finish off with that. But when you saw the when you, when you, when you just saw how much those bad calls that he's in charge of impacted the team, you know, that as you said, the belief starts to drain away. We're starting to give. Terrible penalties will be inconsistent. Tackling's, tackling's definitely gone back in the last couple of weeks. So all the, the hardcore fundamentals that these guys were going to do, the basics, be organised, going to be competitive, competition, competition, team, team, team. All this stuff is completely eroded um, by, by making you know balls up like that, like that, those kind of calls. So you wonder, and I think it, it was probably epitomised by the special teams and Frank Ross. And what did you make of that, Cody? Because I think it's it, it, it promised or it, it certainly... It teased people to think that it might be the strength of the team, but certainly it was your biggest weakness on Sunday. Hey, man, I'm, I'm watching this team all during training camp and even early on in the season, maybe the, in the first week, certainly. And I kept saying to myself and thinking to myself, it's a, real co- it's a really well coached team. This is a team that's coached much better than Bill O'Brien coached football teams. And you're right. That's sort of eroded over the past few weeks. And I think the biggest example and the juxtaposition of it is you look at Sunday and my big belief was this offensive line was going to be a solid unit. And it's disappointed throughout this course of the season. But the Patriots run four backup offensive linemen out there, and they don't miss a beat. The, Patri- the Texans have had their hand-picked five starters since training camp started. And it, it doesn't look good on the offensive line. You know, Lo- Lovey Smith and the tackling. You know, hey, Lovey, they're going to throw into the zone that you create. Maybe maybe switch up the look a little bit here. You know, change some things up. I think Tim Kelly's done a nice job. So Sunday was a great Tim Kelly time, but Frank Ross having a tough time with the special teams right now, especially when you know Andre Roberts' decision making doesn't help the team very often. We've seen that over the course of the season so far. And then from a you know, you know David Kelly had a moment. How do you fix penalties? And he's like, well, we're going to go back to fundamentals. Okay, so that, that's just another way to say, well, I got to coach better, which was what Bill O'Brien said. You know, here's how you fix penalties. If guys keep making mistakes, other guys get the opportunity 
to see if they don't make the mistake. That, that's how you fix penalties. You know, yeah, you, you got to coach them up and you got to coach better in fundamentals and so on and so forth. But at some point, it's not the coach making the mistake, it's the player. And you got to have that hard conversation with the player. You're going to have that hard conversation with yourself about the player. It's, it's a disappointing coaching staff more often than it's a successful coaching staff. But there's po- like, I know there's positives in there. That's the frustrating part. Like if I, if I had not seen any positives, I wouldn't be as frustrated with this team. But I know there's positives in there, and they just can't draw them out on a consistent basis. I think what the challenge you touched on the offensive line, and it was like I made a list of the stuff this week before I sent you an agenda of stuff I didn't want to talk about. Because you, you, every week so far it's been you can't run the ball, offensive line can't block, even first and second level. I watched the first drive on the All-22, the pad levels all over the place is one bit sharpens, his feet are, are, are further forward than his shoulders. Uh, getting driven back by one of their, which have not, hadn't been a good run uh, run defense at all. Uh, special teams are net negative. Andre Roberts has just re- reaffirmed or come come out the ashes of the Andre Carter. You know we, we seem to why in Desmond King going back there. You know just mix it up a little. Uh, we can't rush the passer for shit when we only rush four up front. You know it's the same stuff every week. And the biggest one is the fucking big massive holes in the zone that Kirksey doesn't get enough depth every time they set in a pass set and they drop it in. You saw Hunter Henry pick up multiple balls in there. Um, and, and the zone coverage, for whatever reason, and I think it was actually, it was it was personified on the Hunter Henry touchdown when uh, there was a safety in behind, I can't remember who it was now, um, in, in, in behind Terrence Mitchell. He's, he's got the leverage inside, so therefore, he, and, but then for whatever reason, Terrence Mitchell then decides to position himself in, on on the inside and give him the outside for a clear throwing lane for for Mac Jones to take and it was just like you know we, we still don't have this down at this stage and I think with all those things I just think I, I think a lot of them particularly the run game um, the zone coverage in defense two fundamental flaws on either side of the ball I don't think we're going to fix them with this personnel because whatever the coaching staff are trying is not getting through and I think they're just going to be consistent themes right from now until week 17. The tough part for me is, you know, when you look at the rushing attack, I think that your your, your big flaw is Titus Howard's not a guard. It, it doesn't seem like he's capable of playing that position as well as he played tackle, but you've gotten good tackle production out of Charlie Heck in the preseason and through one game. And and before that, look, Marcus Cannon, the, the time we had with him at right tackle, Titus was better at right tackle than Marcus Cannon looked this yeah. year. So it, it's really frustrating that they've moved Titus Howard around and it's also really frustrating that he didn't get hardly any left tackle snaps. Now that Laramie Tunsil may miss a little time with the hand or potentially could miss time with the hand, Titus should be playing left tackle when Laramie Tunsil's down. That's, his, that's the position. He's a tackle. That's why, he's, that's why he was drafted. He's drafted as a tackle. He's not a guard. He's not a center. He's a tackle, right or left tackle. And this is a guy that has the athleticism and, and sort of the body type to be multiple, but they decide to play him at guard. Well, they maybe decide to play him at guard because, you know, Lane Taylor is not healthy and hasn't been healthy yet. And is on the practice squad, just kind of hanging out. And that was a guy that they were maybe counting on to be a guard. So you, you, you jack up Titus this season by moving him to a new position and you sort of weaken your overall production from the outside standpoint to try to help the inside. And all of a sudden the inside's kind of similar to what it was last year not necessarily from a pass rush standpoint, but they're not getting pushed on the inside. And then from Lovey's guy, I mean, Lovey just doesn't have enough talent to work with this stuff. I mean, you think about some of the successful Lovey Smith defenses, and there was an extreme amount of talent on some of those defenses. And he just doesn't have an extreme amount of talent on defense. And so he, he he's he's trying to he's trying to build something with, you know, straw and paper mache and gum and glue. And he he does not have wood and nails and brick and mortar, you know, to, to put this thing together. So I think he's doing the best he can, but, you know, I, I'm not going to be super critical of the defense because I think they've probably overperformed at least yeah. for a, a couple of weeks here now. Um, but this offense has got to get – you got to get moving on a more consistent basis on the ground because Davis Mills, as good as he played, I don't think he can do that every single week. And certainly now that he's shown it, teams might be a little bit more ready for him. So you're going to have to run the football. Yeah, well, what do you think of Davis Mills' performance then? I think because I suppose there was a lot of a lot of kind of 
plays where they went for it on, on fourth, which was great in the first half. The second half, it showed up a bit ugly. And look, the stats, as you said, like complete outliers of his of his curve, if you like, through from what you've seen of him and his limited college snaps. So, you know, the hope is there's a ceiling. And of course, everybody wants him to work out well. He would be the biggest momentum changer for building the, rebuilding this roster if he is the guy. It's still tough to see it, I think, based on what he's shown. But certainly, it showed that he can he can be serviceable and I think that's about his ceiling but what did you make of his improved performance I didn't think it was sustainable though all the late down conversions and and he still misses a lot of easy passes and stuff but what did you what do you do you look at him now any differently after that performance than you did prior yeah I, I definitely do and I was talking with somebody about this before the game last week and I said the big thing that I need to know from Tim Kelly and Davis Mills is do they have a big enough sample size to dig in, assess how Mills has been playing, and improve things. Because heading into Carolina, he had two quarters of work. You couldn't really change a lot on a short week. You had to just barely get him ready for the game. Well, heck, heading into Buffalo, you didn't have a lot of experience for Davis Mills. Like He had not played a tremendous amount of football. He played at that point six quarters in the NFL. And so you're like, does have you had enough to look at, dig in, and, and really start to change things and adjust things. And I thought with 10 quarters of work, it looked like Tim Kelly and Davis Mills had had enough time to look through, change, alter, fix some things. And now they've got 14 quarters worth of work so they can continue to change and alter things. And you mentioned the fourth down things. Look, that's not sustainable. You're absolutely right. But I love the fact that they trusted him enough to make those plays on fourth down. That's something that they probably would not have done against Carolina something they probably would not have done against Buffalo and maybe even something they wouldn't have done unless they had to against Cleveland in that second half. But to trust that against the Patriots, I think that's a big step forward. That shows they're trusting him. That shows that he has earned that trust in a short amount of time. So I think that's a big positive. You mentioned some of the easy throws. It's really tough because Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, they miss an easy throw. You can say, okay, well, they're super talented. We know they're going to make a tough throw. We know they're going to make a difficult throw to make up for it. I don't know that that's the case for Mac Jones. When you're a later round pick, you don't get the benefit of the doubt when you do something, when you don't do something easy. You know, when he he messes up a screen pass, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. A first round pick does. As a third round guy, you don't get that opportunity. So he he can't mess up easy stuff. Look, I know you're not going to nail every throw, but some of those easy ones, have got to look, got to be completion. Some of those things that are four or five yards short of Cooks need to be on Cooks and let Cooks try to make a play. But overall, really impressive performance. It's not like he's got a super great arm. I mean, he, he it's not like a, you know, it's not Stafford where he can just zing in and yeah. do whatever he wants from a power standpoint. But there was improvement. There was production. And coming off of Buffalo, I don't know that anybody would have expected that. And I think, too, doing it against a New England defense yeah. It was fresh off of a frustrating Tom Brady performance. You know, I, I thought that was a very good performance. Look, for fifth, fifth rookie quarterback since 2000 to go for over 200 yards and two touchdowns against Bill Belichick's defense. And that was in the first half. Like, that's a good performance by Davis Mills. Now, build on it. The small issues that we saw, fix those. Make that performance even better. When you know they're going to have to adjust in game going forward. People are going to see, yeah. you know, that see what they've done. Going to have success against them early, and then Tim Kelly and him are going to have to adjust in game. There's a little something there. You know, the likelihood that he's the guy. It's a very, very small slice of the potential outcomes, but it's still there. I'm not ready to totally write it off. One of the potential outcomes is Davis Mills is the guy. He showed us that there's a potential outcome where that's the case. Is it the most likely outcome? No, it's not. But there's at least that potential outcome still alive, and we need to continue to see that. Not going to be any tie rod this week. It's going to be a Colts team that yeah. you know is up and down. So let's see you build on it, Davis Mills. I think that's the most important thing is he rebounded, and now he's got the build. I think he actually kind of set level with Buffalo. And now it should be all up from here. You can't really take steps back. You can't yeah. go down. It needs to be building from this moment on if you're Davis Mills. 
Yeah, and I think there, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot there. And I think what what's almost frustrating at times is, you know, there was one where he bounced off the turf to Cooks on the first drive when when Mark Ingram's, you know, waving his arms at him, leaking out late just to drop him into the flat. And, you know, easy passes like that that keep the chains moving. You don't need to take 18 yard, 18 play drives, you know, nine minutes off the clock because like just mentally and physically for everybody on that offense it's not the way to play you know you want to keep your defense off the field but that's an extreme you know you can't you can't be taking nine minutes to just to put out six points so I think there's there's a lot to like there at times um, and then there's some really fundamental basis that you hope he improves upon just because he's just not had the volume of snaps live you know live action snaps to improve on prove upon those you know, kind of small but easy fixes. So I think it's good. I think there's a lot of people want to anoint him. And I think obviously the Watson factor and all that kind of stuff, you know, plays in this massively, you know, for everybody. This is not a level playing field. This is not normal circumstances by any stretch. It's all a bit weird. It's all a bit unprecedented. So, you know, in, in the face of a disaster in Buffalo, and it was bad, it was unwatchable, it was good to see. But obviously then what you have is in the second half is the better coaching staff make the adjustments and, uh, and and they put the clampers on him a little bit. And and uh, I think it's up to him to see that and, and re- read and react a little bit more. Um, and I think there's times, you know, where you don't want to try and duke past uh, um, Matt Judon in, in the red zone. Um, you oh. know, and it, but literally the play before that, it, it bounced off the hands of, of Moore and uh, Chris Moore. And it, it was a flag on JC Jackson, but, you know, just small pup. Plays like that, either way, you know those numbers could have been a lot better. But I think in the second half, when they were really bringing it to him, um, he lo- he froze a little bit, and, and and perhaps you know he's processing. I think in times lets him down, and his ball placement you know needs to improve. So it's things he can work upon, I suppose, and 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 on the on the grand scheme of it. But uh, certainly a step forward. And Davis has got you know he's got a lot of he's got a lot of he's got a lot of kinks to work out. I think if he's going yeah. to be considered a a, a prospect. That's that's the tough part about that performance is you could still pick out some like very clearly has not played a tremendous amount of football moments. And I think you brought it up there. The red zone and Mills even mentioned it after the game. Not only did he feel like he messed up the protection from a call standpoint, he also tried to do too much and took them, you know, out of some comfortable situations where they could take more shots into the end zone where they felt like they had more plays like he took them out of those situations and they had to settle for less more catches that things are a little bit different, obviously, but you know, for mills to have those issues in the red zone, that's something that like maybe the first thing I'd be drilling down. If I was Tim Kelly, like, Hey, do not try to do too much, throw the ball away. Like I understand that you can make a play, but when it's Judon breathing down your neck, you're not getting away. Okay. This isn't, high school football in Atlanta where you can't outrun somebody. This isn't the Pac-12 where you might be able to outrun somebody. Judon's getting you. You know, and, and these guys are going to get you. Throw the ball away and live to fight another day. We this is a this is a, look, Lamar Jackson loses nine yards. He can make it up. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, these monsters that are out there, Herbert, they lose nine, eight yards. They can make it up in a hurry. Davis Mills in this offense can't. You can't make up negative yards. So you can't, it's it's really hard, really hard for this team if he if he's gonna mess up in those situations and add to the already tough task of moving the football. That's one of the big things for him. And look, I think he will improve that. I think that's just experience reps. Hey, slap on the hand, don't do that anymore. And I think he will improve that because we saw a big jump in what he can improve with the reps to dive in and really look at and really pay attention to. So I, I do have a little faith that he's gonna improve those things. Yeah, and in terms of the rest of the, the squad, Cody, I suppose we're trying to find pieces for future years. Um, any stand? I think Jonathan Greener continues to flash, which is so frustrating because then he got no snaps last year. Um, and ironically, he was a pick that kind of fell in their lap that infamously I don't think they would have made otherwise. Um, but uh, any other standouts? I thought he was the one I had. And Chris Moore, I think, as well. But anyone else? My favourite part about Grenard is Bill O'Brien didn't want him. So <laughs> I, I know he's probably a really good football player if Bill O'Brien didn't want him. I think that's my, my favorite fact about John Grenard. I like his mentality too. Listening to him post game. Um, I, I think his head screwed on, right? This is a guy that comes from, you know, he played his last season in Florida and, you know, before that was at Louisville, he's played some big time football and didn't lose a bunch. Okay. So I think losing is tough for him. And when you think about how guys handle losing, I like Bernard's mentality. I like Ross Blacklock's mentality before, you know, it, you know, his season got kind of interrupted here a little bit. So I, I really like Bernard. Terrence Mitchell is a guy that, you know, 
Brady targeted him in the preseason game, and we kind of were like, this could be a little iffy here. Um, but he's played pretty well in the pre in the in the yeah. regular season. Uh, Terrence Mitchell, you know, I, I think he's one of the guys that has a multi-year contract, so he's going to be a, a guy that factors in for you. Desmond King, I like what Desmond King's brought to the table. I liked him as the kick returner, punt returner. He was amazing in the slot in preseason. I think mixed results in the regular season, but now he's been playing outside. Desmond King's a guy that I really like. Malik Collins, from a week-to-week standpoint, has kind of played himself in and out. You know, the mm. the, the rough in the pass from penalty, like. If he call, I suppose, but they call that now, so you, you can't you can't make that mistake. Um, uh, KGH Camus Grugier Hill absolutely should be on the football team going yeah. forward. I really like what he's brought to the table. Um, that's a guy that Lovey Smith seems to trust. I'd even think about Christian Kirksey long term, just from a have a veteran that Lovey trusts long term standpoint. And I thought the secondary played. Okay, you know, from the the standpoint of the two safeties and the two corners that you regularly see, Reed's fine. Lonnie Johnson has his ups and his downs. I think there's sometimes where he's just out of position in Lovey's defense, and I think there's sometimes where more. I would expect him to be getting more opportunities while he goes down. I I, I would keep him getting those opportunities even when Amendola's back, be just because you know I I know that they thought Danny might be ready. He wasn't ready. So they bring more up, I think, in place of Amendola not being ready. I think even if Amendola is ready, you bring more up because he made some big plays for you. Give Davis Mills that option. Give him that opportunity. So you can put three, four wide receivers. I do want Justin Britt back. The next week, I want him to draft the center out of Iowa so we don't have to worry about center for 10 years. Oh, you yeah. Know? So it's, uh, is it you know, Tabram or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like I think uh, Linderbaum maybe I think is his Linderbaum, name. Linderbaum, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Linderbaum. And so it's like a lot of these guys are week to week. I think who puts together multi-week performances is really what I pay attention to. And that's KGH. That's John Grenard. That's Terrence Mitchell at this point. Together three, together three four weeks. And, and let's see you stack those together, and then we can think about you long-term. But Terrence Mitchell, Desmond King, KGH on the defensive side, even Kirksey, I'm thumbs up on those guys hanging around. And, you know, maybe some late-round rookies are challenging them you know, two years from now for their spots or a year from now, late in the season for their spot. But yeah, I, I think they found a couple of pieces and that's what we said Casario had to do. So, so mission accomplished a little bit on that standpoint. Yeah. And I suppose it was a, an interesting one. I, one made that as you pick up last week, what did you make of the Anthony Miller getting cut? I saw Lonnie Johnson taking him out for his, his birthday on Sunday night. And um, it's looked a bit kind of a, if you off, but sorry for, him. I don't think he did much to, to 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 warn everybody was positive about his performances in training camp. He got a touchdown on Thursday night football. Caught a couple of others. Looked, you know, pretty zippy across the slot. But when we're talking about, you know, it almost kind of goes in the face of building building spots for future years. But actually, when you side with a 35, 36 year old vet wearing a pair of short, very short shorts on the sideline when you saw him and uh, Danny Amendola. It seemed a kind of an odd one, and I, I suppose Cully's honesty almost kind of bases it. Well, we thought he was a better guy. He was effectively the 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 way he articulated it in so many words. So, what did you make of that? Because it felt like Miller might have been somebody you could have developed. What David Cully told us, and what the context clues tell us, are a little bit different. If they knew there was even a slight chance that Danny Amendola couldn't go on Sunday, they shouldn't have cut Anthony Miller. Unless it just wasn't working. I mean, this is a guy that, that had every opportunity in Chicago and fell out of favor. And so, obviously, he's a younger guy. Obviously, long-term, he could be more useful than Danny Amendola. But the fact that Amendola wasn't even for sure a go, and they decided they wanted him out of the building, I think tells us a little bit about Anthony Miller, more so than about the decision-making of the Texans. Because, look, I, I was with you. Young guy that you spent a fifth-round pick on, he's not even going to get the opportunity to continue playing to show you if he can make it work, especially when the veteran's going to be out. I was I was a little bummed that he wasn't going to get that opportunity, but when Amendola wasn't even ready to go on Sunday, that kind of told me, okay, maybe there's more than just the the on the field situation yeah. with Anthony Miller. And you know, I don't know anything. Nobody's told me anything. I'm not reporting anything, but I think the context clues tell you they were comfortable not having Anthony Miller in the building, even if Danny Mandola wasn't ready to play on Sunday. Yeah, it's a, I suppose it's a strange one, isn't it? When you when you go out and make an aggressive trade for a guy who probably might have hit waivers and then and then give up on him so quickly. So you know, was the 
was the talent evaluation so different from the person person personality evaluation? Bingo! You can't you can't you can't squander those late round picks like Casario has been doing. Fifth for Anthony Miller, uh, you know, seventh for Ryan Izzo. What was it? A, a sixth for Kadar Holman. Who, I mean, did he even get in the building? I mean, before they they moved on from him. Yeah. That, I, I'm fascinated by that with Casario because this is a guy that comes from an organization that found the greatest quarterback of all time with a six round pick. And you would think he'd want to keep, you you'd think he'd want to keep those, that, that, that ammunition on his side, as opposed to taking like the, like the risk and chance of a rookie paying off in that situation. than a veteran who has failed somewhere else is like much higher. Like the chance that the rookie pays off when you draft him and nail it is higher than the veteran paying off when you go get him off of another team. So I think, I'd like to see Casero maybe hang on to some of those late round picks and take a few more swings. And so it's not a tremendous amount of one year veterans. It's a, maybe a little bit larger amount of young guys filling out this roster. Yeah. And I suppose a, a guy who will be lost this week or potentially this week is, is Larry Tunsil. Obviously he's, you know, not by no fault of his own. Um, a big part of the reason why we're kind of in, in a rebuild mode with limited picks. What did you make of these kind of, it reminded me, when Ken, do you remember when Kenny Stills went off on the sideline week four before O'Brien got fired, looked completely disinterested, um, and then gets cut a week or, or leaves a couple of weeks later and you know says it was nothing to do with playing time, he just wanted out. He kind of stand, he just sort of stood there a bit kind of, and I don't know if that's just him as a guy, reasonably laid back, wearing a nose piercing, uh, which I'm not a fan of, um, standing on the sideline, kind of holding his hand. Yeah, they oddly put him out for a field goal unit or a punt unit, I can't remember which one. Um, but he wasn't good enough to go, and Gary and Christian plays the rest. But I, I thought that was interesting. And sometimes his body language, particularly in the run game, doesn't look great when you've got so much. And look, he will always be over-criticised because you've got far too much resource than you should ever put into any player beyond the quarterback. Um, but I just thought, he, he at times, and that injury there, I think he got trampled on. Um, on his on his, And it, look, it'll be a sore one. And for his alignment, it'll be difficult to play. Um, but yeah, I don't know if he's one of those ones you just tell him to get the surgery and have him go, you know, look, it's, it's not going to make a big, great difference. Because I, I didn't think that the, the line play is already so bad. It's, it's, is it, is it academical that he just gets healthy now and then you look, you look to, you know, you look to maybe keep him or, or do you look to move on from, I don't know. But I just thought it was an interesting facet of the game where he, he went off, um, Standing there, looking semi-disinterested on the sideline, without a lot of loss on the field. The the thing with Laramie Tunsil, and I, I I say this, and I don't think this is a bad thing about Laramie Tunsil. He's a mercenary. Laramie Tunsil is going to go wherever the highest amount of money pays him, and he's going to play, and he's going to be pretty good. Okay, he and at times he's going to be great. Miles Garrett has had basically one poor performance this season, and it was when Laramie Tunsil was blocking him. Um, you know. He has those moments where he's really, he's not a great run blocking left tackle, but he's really good against pass rush. And so that's why you kind of have Laramie Tunsil there. And that's why Bill O'Brien wanted to invest all that into him. If they could trade him right now for something, I think they would. I just don't think they can fiscally, like financially. It, yeah. It would be very irresponsible to make that move, um, you know, just from what they'd have to pay to trade him and things like that. In the offseason, I absolutely think they'll explore moving on from Laramie Tunstall. And I don't know if they feel like they have the future left tackle on the roster or they want to go get that future left tackle or they want to have a veteran there or they want to use a draft pick on it. I don't know. But I do believe they'll explore trading Laramie Tunstall and just trying to maximize his value because somebody may give you a first-round pick for him. You're not going to get two firsts in a second, which is what you paid for him. And so Nick Casario will get killed for that. But in the long run, you know, by the time Laramie Tunsil, you'd have to pay him again. That's maybe when your rookie quarterback is just actually getting going. So it's like you you find yourself into a weird spot where, okay, if you've invested in a rookie, you want to pay all those other guys because you you, you have the money to because it's a rookie quarterback. But you may be two years away from really kind of accelerating or maybe three years away from accelerating, and that could be a giant Laramie Tunsil contract again. I do believe they'll try to trade him in the offseason. I don't read too much into his body language, his mood, his mentality, because I just don't think Laramie Tunsil has positive body language. I don't think Laramie Tunsil yeah. has positive facial reactions. I think he's a mercenary. And I think when he can't play football and make his money, um, I, I don't, he's not going to look happy. And he just it, it, he has a very laissez-faire appearance to him a lot of times. But 
when the guy goes out there and stymies one of the best pass rushers, that's why you pay him all that money. It's a weird situation. It's tough. I don't know why he would play through it. I'd get the surgery if I was him. But at the same time, credit to him. He's a warrior. If he's going to play through through a whole season for this team, that's a guy that cares a little bit more than probably most people, myself included, thought if he's going to play through that. Because he certainly doesn't have to. He gets paid. You know, He's hurt. He gets paid. So he can sit on the sideline, get the surgery, and be ready for next year, potentially a different team. So I'm not super bummed about Laramie Tunsil. It's it's kind of a bummer how he got here, but I think he's a really nice player, and I'm fine with it. You have two more years on the contract, then maybe you franchise tag him and try to trade him, or you get a comp pick for him leaving, or if you try to trade him in the offseason, I'm fine with that opportunity too. Yeah, I think it's it's uh it's a I mean it, as you said it's not normal again not normal circumstances with all the kind of skullduggery that's going on in the background. But I I think it it just was a, an interesting point of note. I think another one, and I'm not like a big guy for uh for for social media tattling and but I, I, I like I did see I remember watching the Thursday night football and saying to the guys I was watching I said and you saw uh David Miller get on the sidelines and. And I know you've got to make peace and it's all an ecosystem and you've got to be, you know, on the best terms with everybody. But my point was, why have you let this guy in the building? Why have you given him a sideline pass to do his customary pictures with all his players? Um, but anyway, since that night, Charles Menehu was dropped, uh, didn't play many snaps at Buffalo. Um, well, dropped from a starter, didn't play many snaps. He snapped reduced and it was a healthy scratch. So since that night, his agent was in the building. Um, there may or may not have been a conversation happened at that point. His, he was very much looking, so he's gone from a starter, bit of kind of strange stuff of being third in the depth chart for the media department pushing that out there, or the operations department pushing it out there. And then now, a healthy scratch. So it's quite, from from a guy who was, you know, tipped by most to be your one of your top guys this this year, or, or hopefully top panel. Look, he's, he's limited, he can only play inside, he can't play the edge, he can't set the run. He's limited, he's, you know, he's good at long arms, kind of pushing bull rushing guys back. That's about the, about the you know, the, the maximum, or the, the totality of his toolkit. So I can understand from a playing point of view why you've dropped him, but there's still potentially some development there. So a bit of a strange one, but I think he could potentially add to the list is Zach Cunningham and some other guys who, you know, might not be, you know, from a contract point, definitely won't be here next year, but, you know, it might, might be guys that the team look to move on from. And again, perhaps not always to do 100% with football. Quote tweeted something on Twitter that I thought was fascinating. Omenahu quote tweets this on Twitter and says, feel like I'm going through this now. And I'm just like, I mean, yes, it could be about anything. It's Twitter. He's a young guy. These younger guys use Twitter, you know, in a lot different ways than you know, you know, they try to the mix messages and things like that. Oh, I, I, I wasn't talking about that. Why would you think I was talking about that? Look, he clearly fell out of favor for one reason or the other. I don't know if it's attitude. I don't know if it's they just think his play hasn't been good enough. This is a guy that is, the, you know, you mentioned it, David Mulligetta, same agent as the Sean Watson. I got to imagine that David Mulligetta does not have a positive overall feel and vibe for the Houston Texans. I don't know if that affects Charles Menehu's day to day. I, we talked to Charles Minahu after week one on the radio show and the mentality, the mood, the idea was, Hey, I, I want to be great. I want to be great for this team. I know I have things to improve upon. I, I want to get to a point where I am considered a guy that followed in some of the steps of the really good pass rushers here. I want people to wear my Jersey to the stadium. And I was like, man, that's a great attitude. It's a great mentality. Well, maybe he hasn't put that into practice. The play wasn't bad enough that I think you needed to, 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 to have him a healthy and active, but that's clearly sending a message for, for one reason or the other attitude or play, um, you know, snaps are down, then you're out, even though you could go, I don't know what the deal is. That's something to monitor, something to pay attention to. And it's not like, you know, his, his coach is the former linebackers coach for this team. So it's not like the coach is totally new and unfamiliar with very weird situation. This is a guy that's expected to be a really good player for you this season, had an incredible preseason, incredible. And it hadn't paid off in the regular season for one way or the other. Something to monitor. I'd love to see you get corrected, get right, because when he's on, he's a nice football player. Yeah. Any other guys that you think maybe on the way out, or you would take a, you would yeah. take anything for? You, you mentioned Zach Cunningham. See, see ya. I mean, some of the stuff I've heard about what went on in the preseason. Clearly, a guy that's not buying in. Got a disciplinary one quarter benching. Clearly, a guy that's not bought in. Um, they don't play him as much client as, as well. Yeah, right. So there you go. So yeah, just not a guy that, and look, I, if I was at Cunningham, I wouldn't be bought in. I, when I signed my contract extension, 
this is not the team that I signed my contract extension for. I, I didn't I didn't sign my contract extension to be playing for a you know potentially four win football team and and you know you might have four wins in back to back years. I, that's not why I I signed my contract extension to be a leader of a defense that was really good that had JJ Watt in front of me that had some growing young players behind me um, that had some solid veterans around me and that's not the team that he plays for now. So I can understand a little bit of the frustration. I do think if you don't like it, you could voice that opinion, be on board, and get out of there faster than the, maybe the route he's taken. But yeah, Cunningham's gone. If it's not this season, there's no way he plays a snap for the Texans in 2022. Yeah, I think fiscally again because we were just so desperate to sign, you know, the the myriad of of, uh, of vets that for th- you know three and four million here and there. I think he's another guy that because of restructure that he counts out of that. But um, but yeah, I think there's definitely some more opt in the off season to come. I think and I think you've got to think at this stage in terms of the, the landscape of this. You've got to take anything in terms of guys that you know if you can, as you said you can get fourth fifth round picks take it every day of the week because if you think when you last year you let Will Fuller walk out you let uh, JG walk out for nothing um, you know and you've got you, the number of guys over the years you know DJ Reader you don't even get a comp pick for he gets the highest paid at his position but you, you, you blast a lot of money on Randall Cobb's contract only to trade him so like you know, we've been so short assets and the culmination of assets then they, all of a sudden that hits the end of the road at some point and that's, that's the spot we were in this off season so yeah I think there's a lot, a lot to to be decided. Um, in terms of, oh, sorry, Neil, can I? What, 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 you never know where that fourth round pick or that fifth round pick or then just that extra middle round pick could come in handy. Because if they make that Watson trade and they get an additional bunch of assets, you know, that, let's say they get the five draft picks that they've been looking for. Well, you've got additional first round picks and you're going to get those guys and you're going to pay them and you have five years to figure out if they're any good. But you're also going to get additional second-round picks. So maybe you want to use some of those third, fourth, fifth-round picks to move around in that second round or move around maybe in the first round to go get a position that you feel like you need. So just giving Casario just a little bit more ammo to you know even maneuver around after he gets first-round picks and maybe to maneuver around. Because you can't have 35 young guys you know, yeah. first and second year players on the roster. You can't, that's just not, that's not a recipe for success, even in the long term. Like, you know, eventually down the road, it might work. So you can't have as many young guys as they're going to have draft picks. So you want to maximize those draft picks. And if Cunningham gets you a fourth or a fifth, that you then package to take a third, you know, with a third to and a second to move up in the second round, you know, to get a better player that you feel like, like it's okay to invest in those premium draft picks and using a lesser draft pick to get you an even more premium draft pick is something I think Casario will do. We saw it with Nico Collins. They felt like they had to have Nico Collins. They gave up a, a you know a mid-round draft pick to move up. I think he'll do that again in the future, so I think he needs the ammunition of even just, hey, if it's for that Cunningham. Okay, yeah, it's ammunition for me to move around and you know, and, and Nico Collins' situation in the future. You mentioned Tyler Labram earlier on. Is there any guys in the college, any big college football guys, any – any guys picture or caught your eye this year that you think, you know, if the chance arises 100%, bring them in? It's fascinating because I, I can't quite figure out exactly where the Texans are going to end up picking with their own pick. And so it's it's tough. I mean, if they end up 1-1, I don't know that there's going to be a quarterback that you want at 1-1. So then it's Thibodeau from Oregon. Just yeah. And so, of course, it's the Texans ending up with the number one overall pick. And the quarterbacks are like, eh. So you take a defensive end. Like, I mean, it's happened twice already. You know, it, it happened with Mario, which actually Mario ended up being the right pick. Yeah. It happened with Clowney. And again, Clowney probably ended up being the right pick compared to the quarterbacks. Obviously, Cleo Mack was better. But it's very Texans to end up with, you know, if they end up 1-1, the best players of defensive end, you know, just makes, a, you know, hey, that's it. But if they end up, you know, say, picks three to five, well, they're the defensive end for Michigan. Hutchinson is, is pretty good. He's going to get J.J. Watt comparisons. He's not J.J. Watt. Okay, a little bit different. He's going to get J.J. Watt comparisons because he's a big white guy from the Big Ten who plays defensive end. Um, the corner from LSU is going to miss the rest of the year. Stingley, yeah, yeah. nice player. You know, if you're, if you're in the top ten with your own selection, 
I, that's not a bad selection. I mean, that, that guy's a baller. I know he's not playing this year because of an injury. But that guy's a, a really good football player. The biggest thing is, is they could pick anything. There's literally any position. Like, if you want to pick Neil, the tackle from, from Alabama, and move Laramie Tunsil, I'm in. You want to pick a defensive end? I'm in. You want to pick Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame? Eh, I'm in, you know, depending on where you are in the, in the top 10. You know, you've, you've seen quarterbacks and, and safeties pay off in recent drafts right off the bat. If Stingley's as good as those guys, you know, that's a top seven pick easy. You know, just go, go, go get him and lock down one side of the field. Hope he's really, really good for you and then just figure out the other parts. So they can do anything. If they want to draft a wide receiver in the first round, I'm fine with it. You just got to be, you got to be a different type of guy than Nico Collins. Don't, I don't want too big, you know, yeah. just go up and get it guys. So different type of guy, but you know, one of those Ohio state guys, Wilson and Olave. Okay. I'm fine with either one of those guys, but I'm assuming they're going to have three first round picks, maybe four, um, depending on what team ends up with Deshaun Watson. You know, if it's just one first round pick, if they can't move Watson for whatever reason, then you just go with the best player at the high impact position. Maybe that's quarterback. Maybe that's defensive end. Maybe that's cornerback. But, you know, with multiple first-round picks, pick whoever you want because you're, you're hopefully going to get three really good players if you have multiple first-round picks. Yeah, I suppose it makes the draft a lot exciting. You don't want to try and talk about too much of the draft, but it's good to touch upon it uh, this season, I think, because uh, you've got to look forward to it. Um, Indianapolis this week, you, obviously they looked pretty good last night. Obviously Lamar had an all-time statistical performance to get by. Indeed, obviously the defense showed up. Carson Wentz through 400 yards. You might be, even though it's on the short week, you might blow perhaps be getting them at the wrong time and it might be another tough outing for, for Mills and, and, and all the kind of flaws we've talked about on this defense. Look, if Jonathan Taylor gets going, I think that could be a rough one. This is, this, is a, this is not nearly the Colts team at all that we thought that they were going to see throughout the course of the season, obviously with the injuries and being banged up and things like that. But Pittman getting going, that's something scary because if they're throwing the ball Pascal's like basically always had a good game against the Texans for whatever reason. Um, Wentz played okay. I mean, he's 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 not he's not bad. I mean, there's been bad Carson Wentz. He's not bad right now. I thought he would be pretty bad at this point, you know, with some of the injuries and some of the difficulties that they've dealt with. And really a fascinating conversation around sort of the I wanted Matt Eberflus to be the head coach of this football team. I mean, that's who I wanted, the Colts defensive coordinator. They've been a little iffy on defense at different times. So, you know, certainly, you know, last night letting the thing get away from them on the defensive side of the football. I think that's a cool storyline. It's going to be a tough task. Um, there's no weather associated. Like the weather definitely offense in Buffalo. No weather. You're in a dome. Um, solid team, well coached team. They don't give you a lot of opportunities to take advantage of their mistakes. This is a Colts team is pretty tough. It's going to be a tough, tough task. But if you beat the Colts on Sunday, it means as much, maybe more. Because a road win against a division rival that we believe is much better than you, that would go a long, long way in some a fair amount for this team. These games are going to start meaning less if the losses keep stacking up, but showing that you're going in the right direction with a victory against Indianapolis would, would go a long way for this organization. Yeah, I think I keep going back to the last season at the home game uh, against the Colts, and we just got chewed up up front uh, by Buckner and and Grover Stewart and all these kind of guys and I think it just and even the guy Il Muhammad I think his name is he I'm sure he whipped Tunsil a couple of times as well so I think that's something to watch in terms of could they just get too much pressure up front and and uh and Mills might have a you know a similar day to what he had in Buffalo because I think that's the that's the concern because they're definitely uh they've definitely got their strength up front but as you said they've not been the the team that we thought they were going to be um be, be this season. It might be Mills's last thing, but where do you stand? Just to finish us off, Cody, where do you stand on the Mills Tyro thing? Would you bring him back, or do you just give Mills as much game time as he can take until you know you've got an, you know an un, an overriding reason that you just got to take him out or what have you? This is this is going to be this is such a cop out answer. I think it's week to week. Um, mm. I, I, let's let's see how Davis Mills performs with a little pressure behind him. Hey, go out there, play well, and if you don't play well, we're going back to the veteran. And he's going to get it for a few weeks, and you're going to get to watch how it sh should be done. It's supposed to be done. You're going to get to see him make mistakes and learn from his mistakes. You're going to get to see him succeed and learn from how he does things right. So I, I would basically let Davis Mills know, you've got to play well every week to keep your job. It's competition right off the bat. Let's see how you handle competition. And that's how I would do it. I wonder if because he's a veteran, he's been a good teammate, 
it's just automatically Tyrod's job. But if Davis Mills does what he did against the Patriots, against the Colts, it's really hard to go back to Tyrod because even though Tyrod played some of the best football of his career for six quarters, you got to find out about Mills long term. Yeah, as you said, it is a week to beat league, and we'll find out. The, the final image of Easterby hanging over um, over Cully there with a rather sort of ominous scowl, I think, was probably one that you saw in the broadcast. Uh, kind of a PR disaster hey, against does, his former team. Hey, does, does Jack Easterby know that you should have let him score? Because if he did, and he told David Cully, like, maybe they'd had a better chance to win the football game or at least tie the football game. It's like, hey, if Easterby knows that you're supposed to let him score, I'm fine with him being there. But, yeah, the, certainly with the, the the controversial nature of his name around this organization, it's not great seeing him hanging around on the sidelines. I, I just had a – I was just kind of we were joking watching it, and it was you saw him kind of stare at him as he was kneeling down for the, the jumped-up past or the A's, we were, you know, the, the sentiment. I Certainly when we were watching it was that – He's got that knife set in that top drawer in his desk and he was away to go and start sharpening them up because he looked like he was... Uh, either he was confused because he doesn't have a fucking clue what's going on out there, which I think sometimes is the case, um, or or he was uh, he was pissed off that he didn't get one over his former team again. And uh, and it, it looked like it was a, a jot on the copybook of David Cully. Not that he was ever going to be long-term, um, but certainly it didn't do him any favours and I don't think he used to be much appreciated it. Um, and I know people, he's the most controversial figure you'll ever have, but uh, he's certainly got one that's got influence. And I think if he's unhappy about it, it'll, it'll make its way back to Tommy Boy. I think that's for sure. So he, he, I, the, the Tommy Boy thing with, with Cal McNair makes me laugh so much. One of my favorite movies. Yeah. I always tell people, Tommy Boy saved the company at the end. So maybe Cal can save this all when it's all said and done. Maybe, maybe Casario can be the David Spade and help him save everything. So Tommy Boy saved the company at the end. So it's funny, well, <laughs> and, and 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 yes, it was. It did not. It has not looked good. And maybe we're in the middle of when uh, you know he's lighting the guy's toy car on fire in the office. But Tommy Boy saved the company at the end. So I, you know, hopefully Cal's got him pointed in the right direction and. And and David Spade Casario's got is helping him out in the right way. Yeah, we, we well when you see that many empty seats and it's actually picked up on the broadcast, it's empty. Uh, you you hopefully got to start and 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 the, how loud it was when that on that Hunter Henry touchdown, which is you don't really hear that, that all that often, uh, or you haven't in recent times. Um, you've got to think at some point, you know, when there's continual losses, when there's been all this culture and there's all this veteran players and there's been all this, you know, we'll do it our way and you're losing the quarterback. They, they will view it as transition. Um, but hopefully it twigs somewhere, I think. And then, but it, but it's a foolproof model, isn't it? I mean, he, he makes money regardless of, of uh, if, you know, say there's four or 5,000 empty seats that haven't been paid for. Um, it's just maybe if he takes notice of the, the 15, 20,000 seats that were sitting empty for all four quarters. The, the um, pseudo positive, I guess, for that standpoint, is I don't think you play a lot of fan bases that travel well for the rest of the year. So hopefully you don't have a ton of opposing forces cheering really loud, kind of like what when the Patriots were having success. I mean, I don't see the Rams, Chargers, any AFC South teams, the Jets or the Seahawks being, you know, good traveling fan bases in there. So, but maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe you want the opposing team cheering and Cal McNair has to hear that and knows that maybe he's made some mistakes, you know. That's the big thing is people are convinced at different times that they don't know they've made mistakes. I think when he looks and sees the empty seats, he's got to know he's made mistakes. Yeah, I think so. Um, I suppose it will be empty next year, and it'll be empty the year after. I think, when does that that arrest itself? I mean, you, you get the right quarterback in here, man. And oh, you fill the place, yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's, a, that's a reason for people to come to the, come to the joint, but... I don't know about the right quarterback. It it seems like it might be a tough tough task to find. Yeah, is it? Do you think the Bama guy's real? Um, would you would you wait a year and pick him if 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 it all kind of falls into place? Would that be an ideal scenario? I I, I like him a little bit more than basically anybody else in this year's draft. But I'm also under the opinion of yeah, it's it, you you can wait and hope that he's the next thing. The next big thing was Tua. Justin Herbert went a couple picks later, and he's way better. You know, so just oh, get yeah. the right guy. No Whenever you feel yeah. like it's the right guy, get the right guy. You think it's Matt Corral this year? Go, go get Matt Corral. If you yeah. think it's Malik Willis, 
go get Malik Willis. You know, so go get the right guy when you think it's the right guy. But also, don't just draft a quarterback just to draft a quarterback. Like you got to think and know this our dude, and and be ready to to invest in him. Yeah, no, definitely. No, I think it's uh, it's all it's all poised for future years. Uh, but hopefully. Uh, this hour and uh, everybody else out there talking about this team can make it a little bit easier but Corey Stutes thank you very much for your time mate much appreciated Uh, always enjoy having you join us Um, if you're watching on Facebook if you're watching on YouTube um, on Twitter uh, like it share it subscribe it um, do all that good stuff um, to help people find the turn up for what podcast which is continuing to keep us a name uh, as we go through this kind of strange season but Corey thank you very much for your time if you haven't already check out the stuff on podcasttexans.com and we'll catch you again next week Corey last words before we head out of here hey uh, always a pleasure man always appreciate you know chopping it up you know, nice relaxed environment we can get granule we can do big picture stuff um, and hey kick off to the new century everybody's got to beat me i'm the best podcast so far in the new century of episodes so everybody's got to be better than me going forward you know 102 and beyond okay that's it yeah no set a hard uh, set a high bar for us here so cody cody thanks very much for your time and everybody listen thanks again we'll be back next week to talk indianapolis and whatever may be uh as we get ready as we're approaching the the dreaded bi-week trade deadline but thanks again for listening and we'll catch you again next week (laughs) 